Good morning, church. So this morning, we're going to take just a little step backwards and do chapter 18. It sure is good to be back in the, with the family of God and to be back in good health again. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. Um, so going into this chapter this morning, I did a lot of praying over this chapter. And there are things that are pretty clear and laid out straightforward. And I thought as I go into this chapter... Lord, what do you want to bring out? What do you want to say? What do you want them to pick up on, so to speak? And there are a lot of things that are going on. But as I, as I was praying and thinking about it, what I, what I didn't want to do was kind of do like some kind of a high school report and just throw out a lot of information to you guys. And there, and there you've got it. And get... And, not get bogged down in detail, so to speak, without really speaking to the things that God really wanted to put out there. So let me be clear and say that everything in Acts chapter 18 is important. There's no such thing as, eh, that doesn't need to be there. But by the same token, I didn't want to get bogged down in minute little things when I believe that there were specific things that God really wanted to say this morning about Acts chapter 18. So as I prayed about this, there was one word in particular, undeniably clear that he said about this chapter, and that was the word takeaways. Takeaways. So that when we read through this, what is that, what's, what's that for me? What, how, benefit, how does that benefit me? What does that do for me? Well, how can I take this and apply this to my life? Because ultimately, as we walk with the Lord, we are going to mirror the Lord. We are going to reflect the Lord. We are going to be His hands, His feet, His representatives. So that was the, that was the big word going into this chapter that he, he, uh, he shared with me was takeaways. And so kind of speaking to that point, there were, were these if I can just kind of go boom, 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 and then we'll go back and elaborate. First, to give just a little context about the city of Corinth. Secondly, Aquila and Priscilla. It's interesting that uh, in this chapter, uh, it's, he starts out by saying Aquila and Priscilla, but later on as he goes on, he flip-flops around and it's Priscilla and Aquila. And every place you see after that, it's P and A. So when I hear pre and a, it's Priscilla and Aquila, whichever one. But he flip-flops them around. So looking uh, a little bit at, at Priscilla and Aquila and the friendship that develops between Priscilla and Aquila and Paul. And, and the trade, uh, the tent-making thing. So... Um, and then after that, a very significant thing, I believe, is the, the vision that Paul gets from the Lord. And then there's, I just I wanted to speak a little bit about the vow. And then finally about uh, Aquila and Priscilla again, and they're working with Apollos. So first, at the outset here, um, some context about the city of Corinth. It's located on an isthmus. 
Corinth is a, a city with a, where it's located. It's right between two different oceans. And uh, its chief competitor was uh, Athens, Athens, Greece. And so uh, one of the things that was significant about uh, Corinth is the fact that when ships would land there, they had this clever way. This would have been interesting to see. They could move that ship from the one side, the one ocean, to the other over land. I thought that was pretty amazing. Now, later on, there is a canal. So, okay, a canal will be built later on. But I had no clue that, wow, just think of the time you save. And the other big reason was that to avoid storms that were south, they could cut straight across that place there. So that would have been a sight to see. These ships, if you will, which I'm sure they weren't the kind like in our bathtub, but the kind that, you know, they're big ships and they could take and move them across land. So um, I thought that was pretty significant. But along with that then, uh, there's a lot of influx of people. Uh, it's, a, it's a major cosmopolitan city. There's people from all over that come there uh, because of travel, because of commerce. Uh, it's, it's a prosperous city. So there's all kinds of people there. And so guess what? If a, if a church is established there and you've got this influx of people, com- people coming in and people going out, you're going to really see the gospel travel to other places. And God knew that. And that's why Paul was uh, instrumental and, and, and God leading him there, you know, to go there. And then finally, last, I wish it was least, but it's not least, um, Corinth was also a city of immorality. Um, the, the Greeks had an expression for Corinth that was to live like a Corinthian. Really did not speak well of them because they were into a lot of immorality. And I'll just keep it that way because you can think that way, and it, it was true. There is a big temple that was built there, and, and a Jewish and a, and a cult that worshipped Aphrodite, the goddess of fertility. And so, there was there was that that was pre- predominant in that, and there was a cult following um, pertaining to that, that that resided there. So you could also see then that there's going to be some warfare involved. Then there's going to be some pushing back against the darkness. So that's, that's some context about this, uh, the city of Corinth. So let's just take a moment here and pray, and then we're going to launch in now. Father, I, I just thank you that you are good. You know what we have need of. You, your words to us are spirit, and they are life. They, they liberate us. They transform us. You have purpose. You give us vision. Um, as we read and read in Acts 17, it is in you, and it is only in you that we live. It is only in you that we move. It's only in you that we have our being. So, Father, I pray that these words, that you come forward and that you speak and that I be hidden in you, that uh, I just be the conduit and that you speak to each one of our hearts and you accomplish and prosper the words that you speak into each one of our lives this day because you are good and you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the very first thing that I wanted to say about Acts chapter 18 here in Paul is something 
uh, that has been true of the other disciples as well. And, and that Paul, Paul mirrors and is mirroring Christ's life. Stop and think for just a moment with me. You know, back in Acts, uh, excuse me, in Matthew, a while back we did the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, as Jesus went from town to town, from synagogue to synagogue, opposition grew. And uh, so with, with Paul, uh, we, you heard about it last week when he goes to Ephesus. We're going to see it here in this, in Paul's first missionary journey. There are riots that break out. It, it, it says that they went and just stirred up the people. They, and they, they said, these guys are turning the world upside down. They're proclaiming there is another king. Uh, they, they are out to undermine the government of Caesar. And so they just come after Paul with just uh, such, such animosity, such hatred, such ferocity. But just like, just like Jesus, uh, there was mounting and growing opposition. But having said that, there are also many people that were coming to the Lord. And just like when he's talking with his disciples, Jesus told his disciples, hey, don't be surprised. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And so we, we see those contentions. We see that opposition mounting. We see it here today, even playing out in, this, in, in today and what's going on in our, in our nation. There is a spiritual battle between light and darkness, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. So it's nothing new but the battle is intense at times. And uh, so Paul, mirroring the life of Christ, one of the things in Acts 17 is that uh, he explains to them why Christ has to suffer, why Christ has to die, and why he has to be rose, you know, risen again, and that he's going to suffer. Well, back in Matthew, what did Jesus tell his disciples? He he told them uh, at a certain point, he said, from that time forward, he explained to them why the Son of God had to go and suffer at the hands of the scribes, the Pharisees, and, uh, and the elders, and be put to death, and then rise again. So I think that that is a tremendous thing when we think about that not only them, but what was true of them is also true of us, because the same God that worked mightily in Paul works in us. The same things that God accomplished through Paul, he wants to accomplish through us. And so, uh, so Paul is, is not deterred in his, in his mission to go and to... Uh, to the synagogues first, and if they don't receive, well, then he goes to the Gentiles. Um, and no matter where he travels. And, in, in, and so in the first missionary journey, you see that he goes from city to city, he proclaims, and, and there is good fruit that's bore, but you also see that there are riots that break out. And so, and so he leaves and he goes on to the next city, but the kingdom of God advances. There are people that are left there that 
are carriers of the gospel. And, uh, and so going forward, um, as we continue to proceed forward with the book of Acts, Paul is going to be tried in the very same courts that Jesus was tried. So the fact that we, we have an opportunity to mirror Christ in our life is, is a very good thing. At the outset, when we went, uh, as we first started into the book of Acts, it was said here that we are carriers of Christ and we are couriers of Christ. And what we see is Paul, as he, uh, in the different chapters, when you read about what Paul, he, he talks about persuading, he talks about debating, he talks about arguing, he talks about reasoning. And it reminds me of that set of verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he talks about being an ambassador for Christ. We see that in Paul. We see him living that out as, a, as an example for us. And what he's doing is he is, as it says in that verse there, having been given the ministry of reconciliation, he is pleading, he's contending with them to be reconciled with God. So it's not just Paul that's on display here. It's Christ himself in Paul that is reasoning, that's debating, that's, that's liberating, that's the light piercing the darkness to bring light and life and truth and to liberate those who have been taken captive by Satan. That is a very powerful, powerful truth. And that should encourage and strengthen each one of us. One of the things that was said last week by Steve that, that I really appreciate that I, I don't say I boast, but because Paul boasts in his infirmities, I boast in my infirmities. Because I know me, and me is nothing to write home about. But in Christ, in Christ, everything is changed. In Christ, I have my identity. In Christ, I live. In Christ, I move. In Christ, I have my being. One of the things that was really on Paul's heart, when you look at Acts 17, the other chapter, when he saw they had all these idols, and then there was this altar to an unknown God. Can you imagine how God's heart must have broke? That you've got all these idols, all these things on display, and yet they had no clue. They just another idol, an, an, another altar to an unknown God. But that so provoked and stirred Paul up that when he went to Mars Hill, he laid it out to them. And you had all these guys there that showed up of these different beliefs, if you will, different sects. And he contended with them. And so we do that in our day-to-day. -day. Whether we're in the grocery store, whether we're a place of work, uh, whether we're at home. We, God ordains and gives each one of us a sphere of influence to work. 
And he puts us in that sphere, and sometimes he sets up new spheres. He's very good about that. He knows how to open doors that are going to set other things in motion. I'm so glad he has a plan, and he loves us so much that he wants us to be not only partakers with him, but also to co-labor with him in that ministry of reconciliation. That's not just enduring with one another, putting up with one another. That's being able to enjoy and love one another's company and to move forward and live in God's plan and spread that. Paul, in Acts, in Acts chapter 9, when he's first struck blind um, and, and the Lord goes to Ananias, this is what he said. He is my chosen he is my chosen instrument to carry out, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. We have the same privilege every day to carry his name. Just think about that. And, that, and we're going to carry his name before a lot of different people from, from all different walks of life on any given day. But that is a powerful thing. Because our presence, when they come into, when, when we've been brought into their life, or God brings them across our path, that is something that God is at work, preparing for a specific moment to introduce and reveal himself to that person. So, Moving on, as we, as we uh, early in this chapter then, Paul meets uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And uh, even though I reversed it, the way it says here, Aquila and Priscilla. And uh, what happened here is that all the Jews were given the boot out of Rome and out of Jerusalem. Now, what maybe you didn't know was, well, what was behind being, getting out of these places? Well, the one thing the historians do agree on and say is that there was a lot of rioting amongst the Jews. And so there, this guy, Claudius, gives this, this edict, this, uh, this command that all Jews... Depart from Rome. Get out. We're not going to put up with it. Now there is some speculation amongst the historians that the reason why all the Jews were rioting is that it had to do with Christ. But nevertheless, because there was a, a large amount, a vast amount of rioting among the Jews, they're told to get out. And now Claudius dies the edict uh, command is rescinded. And by the way, Nero is going to be the next one that's going to come to the throne. But this command is rescinded, and so the Jews are coming back. And so Paul, he meets up with and finds uh, these, these two, Aquila and Priscilla. And guess what? They're tent makers. Well, what do we find out about Paul? 
He's a tent maker. And so there, there seems to be a, a partnership, if you will, that is developed here. And uh, as we're going to see, there's, there's even going to be a friendship that's going to develop here between them. Um, as a matter of fact, in, uh, I believe it's at the end of Romans chapter 16, this is what Paul says about Aquila and Priscilla. They stretched their neck out for me, for my life. They put their neck out on the line for me. And I thought, well, that's kind of a vivid illustration of how much what they meant, what Paul meant to them, that they would, they would risk their neck, is what it says, for me. And so uh, I think, not by, not by coincidence, it says in Psalms that uh, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, but he finds them and he comes to them. That's what it says here. And because of their the same trade, they're tent makers. And so uh, he works with them, but that doesn't mean that he's going to shelve what he's been commissioned to do as far as speaking in the synagogues to the Jews and, and, and that. So he does both. And, and just one of the things that, that came to my mind is both of these things are sacred. It's not like, well, you've got secular tent making and you've got spiritual going to the synagogue. It's all sacred to God. It all is. And so, uh, and, and so, uh, it's, And so, uh, again, in Colossians, it says, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord, and not as unto man. For it is the Lord Christ you serve. And so I believe that with this tent making, not only was Paul being encouraged, and they had a chance to bounce off of one another, and as we're going to see later on, I believe that by th at this point in time, I believe that they're Aquila and Priscilla are Christians. Because we see later on in this chapter that they help Apollos. And one of the things I really appreciate is whenever I get a chance to get together with brothers and sisters, especially you guys, you know that there are expectations and you, and you, know, you look forward to getting together with your friends or this person or that person. Because you know that what they say and getting together with them, you're refreshed, you're encouraged, you're inspired, you're, you're spurred on. And yeah, so here, when we get together on Sunday morning, I'm inspired by you guys. I'm encouraged by you guys because we're all part of the same body and as a part of the body, every joint supplies speaking the truth in love. And to me, it's evident in this body that there is love. Faith and love. So even with the, with the tent making going on, I think there's a whole other sphere and a whole other circle. You know, people coming to look and buy tents or goods of those, of those kinds of things for their day-to-day. -day. There's a whole other avenue there for Paul 
and for the gospel to be presented and to, and to bring people to Christ. And also to be, to be refreshed and to, to be sharpened by one another. So in, in verse 5, It says, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit. I just don't, I don't believe that there is just, well, here's Silas and Timothy, they come, and then here's a nice sentence, Paul was compelled by the Spirit. I think, I believe, that Silas and Timothy, their presence coming from Macedonia, worked in conjunction with the Spirit to compel Paul. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is, in, is the Christ. And so when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook off his garment and he said, fine, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. From now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So God never retreats. God always advances. So what does he do? Fine, you don't want me in the synagogue and you're going to resist Guess what? God opens another, another door here and uh, he departs from there and enters the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. That's just like God. Fine, you don't want me in the synagogue? I'll, I can advance my kingdom out, outside the synagogue as well. And that's just what Jesus did uh, thinking back to Matthew 13 with the opposition, he stopped going into the synagogue and he was out on the road, so to speak. He was out there in the open, but the kingdom of God, he was advancing. And so what, is, what, is, what happens here is uh, there's a house church that's set up next door to the synagogue. Then, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians hearing believed, and were baptized. So even though there were some that resisted and reviled and blasphemed, when Paul said, fine, I'm leaving, your blood be on your own heads, God was at work in their hearts and said, hey, we're joining you. And set up that church next door. And then moving on to to verse 9 here, this, this really blessed me. And it was a, a very powerful set of verses here. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. You know what really strikes me about that statement? is that we are all familiar here, I believe, with all the different, the beatings, the imprisonments, the stonings, um, even, even being, you know, his life being threatened, uh, being shipwrecked. And I, I thought, you know, well, he is a super saint. 
this guy, he, he's got an S on, S on his shirt and his cape is blowing in the wind and nothing daunts him. But that's not the case. In, in Paul's letters, we find that he would rather glory in his infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon him. And so what I started to say before, I'll say it now. It really is a team effort. I'm glad that I can bring my weakness to Christ. And that in that bringing that weakness to Christ, He is my sufficiency. He is my strength. He's the one that blows into my sail. He's the one who equips me for the moment and for the moment that is to come. And so right out of the gate, I would not have expected to hear the words, do not be afraid. But that says something about Paul is just as human as we are. Do not be afraid. And, and the other thing uh, in going on with this is that the Lord is so good about knowing what we need and when we need to hear his voice and what he wants to say to us specifically. To give direction. To, to work in our heart, to shore up, to transform, to give guidance and promise. So when he says, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. Why? What's the reason? For I am with you. It brings to my mind that verse. Well, actually... Two things. It brings to my mind, first of all, a worship song that I love to sing about the goodness of God. Where it says, uh, I love your voice. Because his voice and what he says is spirit and life. And what he wants, it to, what he wants to accomplish, he, he does it when he says it. So it's not, hey, Paul, I wish you wouldn't be afraid. It's saying, do not be afraid. And do not keep silent. And then that same song, in that same worship song, uh, I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And it talks about him being closer than no other. And that's, that is such a powerful thing that God is so close to us. All the time. All the time. And that spirit that is in Paul is not one of fear, but it is a spirit of power. It is a spirit of love. And it is a spirit of sound mind. So all three of those, those qualities, all three of those aspects, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So I believe that when God's speaking, you know, and, and probably even thinking back, you know, wow, here in this city, what's, what's going to happen? You know, considering all the riots, considering all the things, you know, wow, is it really all worth it? If I were honest with myself and I put myself in Paul's place and I encountered even half of those things that Paul encountered, would I say I'm going to keep going? Honestly? We know what we should say. But what, 
we can say by the amazing, abundant grace of God is yes, we can. Because he gives grace for the moment and he gives grace to go forward. He does. And so I think this is just really a heart-to-heart intimate moment between Paul and the Lord that we are glimpsed to see and, and be privy to. And what can we, we take from this? It reminds me, you know, when he says, do not be afraid and, and speak and, for I am with you. It reminds me that this is a significant event, just like Joshua when Moses died and he's going to go take the people and there's going to be another significant event. They're going to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. What does he say to Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Why? Because I am with you. There is everything to be said about the presence of God working in our life and remembering whose presence we are in and that he never slumbers and never sleeps. He watches over everything. He preserves our way. So, for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. You know, one of the big things that I believe the Holy Spirit used to, uh, besides himself, is Paul. Paul was energized and he was motivated by people. Just think about, you know, last, the last time, you know, thinking about the, uh, the, the Philippian jailer and when the chains broke loose and everything. My thought would have been, I'm free, I'm out. Right? But what does Paul do? He calls out immediately to the jailer and he says, do not harm yourself. How did he know he was going to do that? Paul had such, such a heart for people. In uh, 2 Corinthians 11, Here's what, what he writes. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've, I have been in the deep. In journeys, often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. What a statement. What a statement. When he writes the letter, to the church in Philippi. I thank God for my every remembrance of you. And again later on, he talks to them and says, you guys, you're my joy, you're my crown. 
And, uh, you know, I've always thought for the longest time of Paul as a, a no-nonsense kind of guy. One who did, and he did, by the way, he took his apostleship seriously. And, but you, you also see that, you know, one of the statements he said, you have many teachers, but you don't have many fathers. You see how when he talked with Timothy as, a, as talking to his son. But the thing I want to just share with you is that at the end of Romans chapter 16, at the end of first, uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul has a whole chapter devoted to greetings. Greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so. Hey, say hi to them. This is, these people here, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, you know, they, they stretched their neck out for me. And he goes through a whole list of people to say, send them greetings. And so he's saying, you know, from this church to yours, tell them, tell them hi. He's, he's kind of drawing the people together across boundaries and say, hey, greet one another. But when you read that, a whole chapter of greetings to people. And I couldn't help but think of the Waltons. Anybody familiar with the Waltons? Exactly. At the end of every episode on the Waltons, they always show the house. There's the lights before they go out. And they say, good night, John boy. Good night, Mary Ellen. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, Jim Bob. You know, it was on and on and on and on. I couldn't help but think about, you know, hey, they're saying good night to everybody out, out of love. But in a greater way, Paul is saying to these guys, I love all you guys. You're close to me. You're my companions. You're my, my friends in the Lord. And you mean a lot to me. And he's not ashamed to say it. He devotes a whole chapter to it. And for that to be in the scripture, amongst all the other truths, I think is a significant statement about the reflection of not only Paul's heart, but God's heart and how much he cares about people. For God so loved the world that he demonstrated it by giving his only son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I believe that that all-consuming heart of God, God being Paul's vision, he would not be deterred. And when it seemed like he was deterred, he comes to him in a, in a precise moment in this vision and tells Paul exactly what he needs to hear and why he needs to hear it. I have many people in this city. And as a result of that, as a result of that, Paul stays there a year and six months. Now, considering what transpired in the first missionary journey, he's just getting underway, but there's no grass growing under his feet. There's riots that break out. Now, he gets a chance to stay put. And the reason is that God tells them, I have many people here, my people. And, and the wording for that is Jews and Gentiles, not just the Jews, everybody, Jews and Gentiles. To me, that, that is such an intimate moment. And I just want to just stir you up that in your quiet time, that what, Paul, that what the Lord did for Paul, when we have that quiet time and say speak Lord your servant is listening he is going to speak he will tell you exactly what you need for the day 
He will give you something to be able to go into the day so that you go in with a right mindset, a Christ-like mindset. And, and through the day, through the day, He will supply what you need. Even what you can't see, He will supply. And so in this vision, not only I just see there's abundance of grace and we see the goodness and the faithfulness of God and how He speaks to him what he needs. And for each one of us, he is so good in that way. Honestly, this was probably the, the, one of the biggest things in this chapter that really leapt off the page at me was this intimate moment between Paul and the Lord. And what does that mean for me? And what was true there for Paul and what is said is true for us also in the same way. He will never leave us or forsake us. Never. I always, I used to tell this joke that God likes short people. Well, in the King James, it says, Lo, I'm with you always. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. I'm going to move on, but it just kind of seemed to work its way in there. So, um, so here again, going back to Acts, um, and we see, see after this, um, that Gallo, Gallio is proconsul of Achaia, and the Jews, once again, they show up, they make their presence known, and uh, they... They want to stir up trouble for Paul. But guess what? I believe that Gallio is an instrument of God. Paul doesn't even have a chance to defend himself. And he rises up and he speaks to them. And, uh, and they, they don't have a chance to do anything against Paul. So what do they do? The Jews that are contentious and stirring up trouble... They beat, up the, they beat up their leader. They beat him up with the idea of trying to intimidate this proconsul guy. But it doesn't work. He doesn't even bat an eye. They thought that they could intimidate him to doing what they want. But it didn't work. So when Paul wanted to defend himself, there was another way and God intervened and um, they didn't get a chance to, to beat up on Paul. So quickly, um, there's been speculation about... So well, let me back up and just say, so um, about Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla. They travel almost as much as Paul does. They travel to Rome, they travel at Ephesus, they even travel with Paul. So I think that's really neat to see that, that... Uh, that Paul takes, takes followers with him, friends with him, but he also leaves behind people, people who carry the gospel, people who carry the presence of Christ and the message of Christ. And then um, Paul takes a vow. And there are those who speculate that it was a Nazarite vow. But what I will say is that Paul takes a vow, and in Scripture, a vow is a serious thing. It's, it's made to God. And um, 
And he looks to fulfill this vow. He, you know, he's... And, um, and so he, he, you know, he cut, his, he cut his hair. And then uh, he travels to these different cities. And then I, I just want to conclude here by, by finishing up with the ministry of Apollos. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent and mighty man in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This, had, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So what do you think's going on here? Do you think he's he needs to be corrected? Do you think he's promoting something false? Um, as, I, as we look at these verses, we see the fact that he's an eloquent man and a man mighty, mighty in the scriptures. And that this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. So he's got a passion for Christ. He's got a love for Christ. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke, spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. The only, he only knew the baptism of John. Now, from the, pre, from the next chapter, it kind of reminds me of, of the disciples that were there in in Ephesus, and then Paul asked them, he, um, he said, do you know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And he said, we didn't even know. So I believe what happens here is that Priscilla and Aquilum, they take him aside, not to correct him, not to rebuke him, not to, you know, ostracize him, but to, to help him with the way of the Lord and explain to him the way of God more accurately. So, when I think, so I believe the significance of this is that what we say and how we say it, when we hear something that, okay, how do we, how do we handle this? Now, let me be quick to say that when there are things that go against Scripture and things that are false, we got to meet it head on. You got to speak directly to it. You just don't turn a blind eye and say, I see nothing. You, that's not the way. But that's not the case here with him. I, I believe here is an opportunity for God to, to open further the depths of his understanding and his relationship with the Lord. And Aquila and Priscilla are instruments in doing that. So that when this is all said and done, He greatly helped those who had believed through grace and he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And as a matter of fact, later on, Paul is going to use Apollos in some, in some different cities. So the benefit is that he is an asset in the kingdom of God. And we all know of situations or people that when there was some sort of 
conversation or kind of speaking to a, a, a topic or a situation that sometimes it didn't end well and people, some people left the church or some people had issues and they were, they, they were just hampered in their walk with the Lord as a result of what happened by the, by the interactions between the two. You know, in Proverbs it says, a brother offended are, is, are like bars on a castle. So I think there's everything to be said in the way that Aquila and Priscilla conversed with Apollos. And for Apollos to hear what they were saying and to receive, to be teachable. And then we see the blessing and the benefit of that. Showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So one of the things that I pray in my prayer for us today is that the things, I want to encourage you to read this chapter and say, Holy Spirit, I want the takeaways you have for me from here. I shared with you what I believe the Lord put on my heart. But you know what? There may be, I'm not saying those are the only ones. But I know that if you pray that prayer and say, God, open this chapter up to me, he will do that. And there will be things that will encourage and strengthen and transform and, and, and move you forward in your walk with the Lord and in the purposes he has for you as we walk as couriers and carriers of Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You're good all the time. Father, we just thank you for your grace, which is sufficient for each one of us, that when we are weak, then we are strong. I thank you that you know how to blow into our sails, and we just acknowledge our dependence upon you. And again this day, we ask that you blow into our sails, you equip us, you be our vision. As we sang that song earlier, you be our vision. You be our best thought. You be our sufficiency because we can't even think anything of ourselves. You are our sufficiency. So Father, I pray this week, open the eyes of our understanding to this chapter, to the takeaways for each one of us. And I pray for open doors. I pray for your spirit to empower us and that the people you bring across our paths, Father, just as we saw how Paul contended today and, and reasoned, give us a heart. Let your heart be pounding in us your love for people and how much you care for them. And let us not hold back and voice your love and demonstrate your love in word and deed. In Jesus' name, amen.